0: The views and opinions of shows on KCNR are those of the hosts, guests, and callers only and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of KCNR Radio.
1: Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, and you are tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell, here on KCNR Radio, 96.5 FM and 1460 AM. You're listening to the music of Tara Bay Bedford, and that is the song, We Can't Do This Forever. So welcome to Therapy in a Nutshell. Today we are going to be talking about a subject that's really important. It's called... We're calling it Boys to Men, and maybe at some point in the show, I'll tell you what I was going to call it, which wasn't the best title. <laughs> it was kind of negative. I have my special guest here in the studio with me. His name is Dr. Richard Malatke. Hey, Patty. He, hey, he's, hi, Richard. He does a great job dealing as a general practitioner, and he's just he's got tons of experience in all kinds of areas, but one of the things... What
0: she really means is I'm old.
1: <laughs> no, not really. He's got great experience, and he's just a wonderful human being, and he has raised an incredible son, so he's going to talk to us from a bunch of different levels, from him as a man who has learned to develop some things about himself, from a father who's raised a great son, and also from the medical standpoint of where hormones and testosterone and things like that might fit into this picture, but let me take a minute to tell you why I decided to do this subject. Mm -hmm. Often in my private practice as a psychologist in Northern California, I often hear women say to me, when is he going to grow up? And they're talking about their 50-year-old husband, or their 60-year-old husband. You know, you think they're talking about their 21-year-old husband. No, they're talking about their man that they've been with for a very long time. And so just last week, I had four different women, didn't even know each other in four different sessions, having the same problem. He doesn't talk, he doesn't communicate, Um, he says he's going to do something, he doesn't follow through. I swear to God, he feels like my teenage son. It's like I've got two teenage boys in the house. And so sometimes I say, how old does he feel? And I often hear the answer, he feels like a 17-year-old. He feels like this young 25-year-old who's got his head so far up his rear that he can't see daylight. And, And the women are frustrated and upset. And sometimes their man's sitting right there next to him, and he's going, yeah, it's me. Oh, yeah. And it really creates damage in marriage and damage in relationships and in the household. So I started looking at this issue for a radio show to see if I could help educate the public about what's going on with this. And I wasn't going to call it boys to men. I was going to call it testosterone as a handicap, which is a joke. And then I probably figured somebody would call me racist or something, right? And I'd, I'd be in big trouble. But I'm not trying to men bash. I, I really am not. I'm just trying to get men to wake up. And then more importantly, we want to get the horse before it's left, left the barn. We don't want it, you know, the horse is already gone, the barn doors are closed. So what I mean by that is we want the world to raise really good boys into really good men. And there's some things to look at to make that happen. So one of the things I want people to realize is that how you raise a boy from a very, very young age will have a big influence on him on how he's going to be strong and emotionally stable and how he's going to be able to get out of himself and really get mature and grow up. So, Richard, do you have anything you want to throw in here? He's over well, there with a really fun look on his face.
0: Well, yeah, first of all, testosterone, you know, y'all have that too. I know, we do. So it's it's not, our
1: handicap as well though. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. So it's not just it, but but it is, you know, sort of a unique problem mm-hmm. for us. And, and when I think about this sort of thing, which is a little bit weird, I like to think about paleobiology, which is a favorite subject of mine. And that's uh, that's when we talk about... Why are we the way we are? Um, if you think about 20,000 years ago, if testosterone gives you a little bit of aggression and a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of strength, quite frankly, and a little bit of speed, and uh, it can get you away from the, you know, the saber-toothed tiger that's trying to eat you. Right. And you can maybe protect, you know, the girl that you just got pregnant so that she can have the baby so that your lineage will go on. Um, that... You know that arguably was probably a developmental advantage, 20,000 years ago, and now, you know, there's no saber-toothed tigers. There's different kinds of saber-toothed tigers, but um, there, it's not it's not as much of a uh, adaptive advantage to have a lot of testosterone or to be aggressive or to be, you know, you know, you know, men are pigs, basically. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, we're designed to be pigs, so. But but if I think about how we are the way why we are the way we are we might look back that short time geologically uh, twenty thousand years ago where you know that was a big advantage to be exactly that to have that toxic masculinity right
1: to be strong and fast and protective yes and it it was not to benefit to the benefit of men to have deep emotions to oh. grieve really hard no. to Bond with the baby and want to nurture and mature the baby and raise it. It was more for the man to be strong and strong. Yeah, your art job was protective. to, you
0: know, drag meat back to the cave.
1: Right, exactly. So here in the year 2019, we are wanting men to be more than just that guy who feeds the family. Right. And, and so I think it's complicated for men and very difficult. But we're going to go over a few things today that I see happening with the men in my office as their relationships struggle or as their women are saying, I just can't stay with you anymore. Um, and it's, it, there are things that can be fixed, which is, which is really nice. So one of the things that makes strong men out of boys is when they're raised by strong parents ideally in a two-parent household that would be great uh, and it, it helps a lot it does help it, a lot. And it
0: doesn't mean you can't do it with one it doesn't right. mean you can't do it with one but it makes it a lot easier with two
1: yeah two parents you can tag team and what i mean by that is when your teenager is about to put you over the edge and you can't stand it anymore the other one can step in and spell you they can also support each other in their disciplinary tactics and and what they require from their children.
0: Or if your 5-year-old sees a loving father figure that nurtures and takes care of his spouse and, you know, and just and isn't just, you know, throwing rocks at squirrels, mm-hmm. you know, that I think that has a you know, that has a a way to, you know, show him the way. You yes, I think
1: one of the very important factors for raising strong men is a strong male mentor. Now, ideally, that's a boy's father, but that's not always available for lots of reasons. Sometimes they're military and they're deployed a lot. Sometimes they're gone or they've died or they've left the family. So if, you're, if you have a son, you want to have a strong male mentor in there who can really guide that child in, in the ways of men, but you don't want just a big old testosterone guy who's just going to teach the boy how to be aggressive. You want a really well-developed, well-rounded man who can help that boy really learn how to be the, what I call the three R's, which are res- respectful of others, responsible, and reliable. So if if you've got that model for your 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 boy to help raise him to a man that really helps. Now, can a single mom do that? Absolutely. And let's say there is no male mentor for this child. All right, you do the best you can. But I've,
0: I've seen a lot of my uh, single mom patients do a great job.
1: Yeah, I have too in my practice. Uh, and and we're going to get into how moms can be the best mom for a boy that they hopefully can be, and some of the things for you to look at if you're doing how you can change those. But when boys are raised by strong parents or a strong parent, even one, they are taught those skills to help them survive in life. And the thing I've seen in really successful families is when boys are taught um, – all the skills, even if they're skills for, um, for life that we'd normally teach a girl. And we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about those skills. So we'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. You are listening to the beautiful music of Randy McGinnis, Native American flutist. And today we are talking about raising boys into strong men, boys to men. So we're talking about the way that parents parent their children and their boys in order to give them the skills they need to really function well in the world. My special guest, Dr. Richard Blotke, is here with me to talk about this subject for a big variety of reasons, but he's got some really great input. He's raised a wonderful son himself, plus he deals with families all the time. And he has his own personal story that he's going to share when we get to the third section of the show. So we're talking about raising boys, giving them the skills that they need to survive. You know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, boys were taught, you go to work and your wife or your mother does all the home stuff. And you come home and you've earned the money. You've brought the meat home, basically. And it wasn't expected of men to know how to cook or do any of that kind of stuff. But the men that I see today who are the most well-rounded are the ones that can do everything it doesn't. They don't do just the outside chores and the woman does all the inside chores. They have skills. They can cook. They can clean. They can empty a dishwasher. They can do the laundry without ruining everything in it. They can.
0: Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs>
1: well, they, no, see, here's the funny thing. I think men can do the laundry without ruining everything. I think sometimes men purposely screw up what they're doing so that we go, "Fine, you're never doing the laundry again." They go, "Okay."
0: That might happen.
1: Yeah, I think that does happen.
0: Although I gotta chime in there, so I married up in my personal situation. So, so I have, we have two kids, and uh, you know, I was, you know, I was basically doing all the cooking and and all the you know grocery shopping and all the kitchen stuff. And I was also trying to do the lawn and all that kind of thing. Anyway, the uh, kids are little. This is, you know, 30 years ago. And we got, we had a conversation and uh, my wife is very clever and she made a deal with me. And she said, all right, honey, if you do all the grocery shopping, all the cooking and all the kitchen cleanup, I will take care of the yard. I'll take care of all the laundry and I'll take care of cleaning the house. Since I was already doing all the kitchen stuff, I stuck my hand out immediately and shook on that. And ten minutes later, she'd hired someone to do the lawn, hired someone to clean the house, and she kind of does the laundry. But actually, she does the laundry really good. But, um, you know, I married up.
1: <laughs> I think that's great. So she was smart.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. no doubt about that.
1: Smart woman. But, you know, some things eventually you can hire to do them. But, but when you're a young 20-year-old growing up, who's going to sew the button on your shirt? Are you going to take it home to mommy or are you going to know how to do it yourself?
0: You've no, got to do
1: it. So, and we're going to talk about something really important because sometimes it's mommy that wants the son to come home and have his button sewn on. That happens. So a factor that I see and have seen many, many times over the 34 years I've been in private practice is that sometimes emotionally needy women want to keep their sons extremely dependent and i am not trying to insult anybody that's out there um, but if any of this rings true for you or if you're a man who says yeah that was my mom you can begin to behave differently and if you're a mom raising a son and you're trying to make him emotionally dependent you can begin to take a good look at yourself but the moms that i see that raise very dependent sons tend to be overly emotional And and in that uncontrolled, overly emotional way, that kind of histrionic, um, hysterical, uncontrolled emotions. So the overprotective mother's effect on their sons is that it stifles their emotional development, the boy's emotional development. So let's look at it from this way. Often an insecure, emotionally undeveloped woman who's raising a boy has abandonment issues, attachment issues, or trauma issues. And then that son that she has becomes the hope for the love that will never abandon that woman. She's thinking, this baby will always love me. At least I have someone. I've actually heard women say that to me before in my office. Maybe this will be the person who always loves me forever. Or they don't even say maybe. They say it will.
0: Yeah, I've heard that too.
1: Yeah. So the mom unknowingly begins to hinder their son's growth because it's a normal progression in children to go from, very dependent to slowly separating and individuating, which means separating from the paternal figure and maternal figure and individuating into your own individual self. So the mom who unknowingly hinders that separation individuation is creating a, an emotionally dependent son. So when you do that, the son has two choices. He either has to get angry to separate Like, and that's the external thing, pushes the whole world away, says, leave me alone, you're suffocating me, I can't stand this, I'm not a baby, quit treating me like one. They have to get angry to separate, or they have to go inward, which creates anxiety and depression. So the son knows that by separating and individuating, he is betraying his mom, abandoning her, she feels like, uh, you're the one who is never going to leave me, and the The burden of that can be huge on a young man. So if you struggle with anxiety and depression, you might want to take a look on whether this was an issue for you or not. Now, Richard knows because he deals with this in his practice all the time. Some people, whether men or women, struggle with anxiety and depression from a biochemical standpoint. Yep. And then some people have therapeutic issues alone, which create those, and then some people have both. They've got got a family history. It can be nature and nurture. It can
0: be inherited and also be, you know, because of things that have happened.
1: Exactly. So the mom who's overly dependent on their son, these are the things I see that those moms tend to do. They make excuses for their sons. When the school calls up and says he was a bully or he um, got in trouble or he didn't do his work or something like that, the mom tends to make excuses for him. So what that immediately does is stops that boy from being a responsible, reliable individual because she's run interference for him. Uh, This tends to foster dependency. And when the son tries to individuate and separate from the mom, she feels threatened. and
0: And the most extreme example is that helicopter Parenting. Oh, yeah, that helicopter mom. That's just unbelievable. Well,
1: that, when your son's two years old and you're afraid he's going to fall and skin his knee while he's learning to rock, walk, you can't bubble wrap him. So yeah, you got to
0: take the training wheels off after two days.
1: Yeah, you've got to try and help them grow up and face the life that can be difficult for them, you know, because life is not always easy. But... Project this out to when you have a son who's now in his early 20s and he's met a wonderful young woman or a partner and he brings that partner home to meet mom. It's another separation, another individuation, another abandonment. And mom often hates that partner, sometimes justified, because the son has picked an emotionally dependent woman and has recreated <laughs> his mother. <laughs> and so the mom...
0: unfortunately.
1: Well, there's this thing called the mirror effect. So sometimes when moms look at the woman that their son chooses, they say, I don't like her. She's emotional and needy and all of this. And they kind of need to look in the mirror because their son will tend to create a relationship like a parent. And, And women do that, too, with their father's. They will tend to yes. recreate even an abusive father sometimes because they're trying to master those skills. And and I want to do a caveat here. I'm not speaking just to heterosexual relationships. This can happen in gay relationships. It can happen in same-sex marriages. Um, I, it's just, it gets complicated to talk about all the different types of relationships. But I see this happen in any combination of relationships. So... You've got to really stop and take a look at are you creating an emotionally strong man or are you trying to create an emotionally dependent boy? Let me give you an example of something that I watched happen at one point. Um, This woman was a a very emotionally uh, fearful kind of woman, and she was very afraid that her son was going to hurt himself. So she was constantly going, oh, you're going too fast. Don't go downhill. Uh, No, you can't ride a bike like that. No, 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 no. She was very frightened all the time of losing this child, like that he would die. So she was constantly helicopter mom, constantly overprotective and fearful. And now this young man, who was at the time a child, now he's a young man in his 30s, struggles with anxiety and depression. And if he were to try and verbally explain how that was, he was subtly raised with fear and anxiety, and that plays a factor in whatever biochemical struggles that he might have. So helicopter moms don't make their children feel more protective. They make them feel more vulnerable and fragile. So what? anything you want to throw in on there?
0: Well, yeah. So I, I think that's – you got the nail right on the head, Patty, because – uh you know, this is an example that I use, and I, most people kind of can relate to it, I think, in the office. But when I'm talking to, and dads can do it too, but when I'm talking to uh, one of those moms, um, I just say, I use this. If you plant a tree, and I've planted quite a few in my day. a lot of, You know, I have some fruit trees and all that. If you plant a tree, wherever you plant a tree, you, you stake it and tie it up so that the first winter's strong wind doesn't blow it over. And break the, you know, break the uh, trunk. But after that, you darn well better take those stakes away. You have to let the wind blow through those leaves. You have to let that thing feel the heat, feel the wind, feel the, you know, nastiness of reality. And, uh, and when you do, you end up with a super strong, amazing tree that, you know, gives you so many chairs you can't eat them all. Yeah. But, but if, you, if you stake it for three years because you're so scared because you spent the money on that darn thing and you don't want the wind to blow it over, you got to wimp.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it, it is the phenomenon that I often see in my office where women are then complaining about their husbands that are not emotionally developed and emotionally strong. And what's really interesting is they might go to work and be very emotionally strong and very dynamic at work You know, let's go back to your uh, paleobiology lesson. They're out there hunting the saber-toothed tiger, and they do great. And then they come home, and all of a sudden they're coming back to mommy, who's now their wife, and dependent and can't get anything done and can't multitask and, you know, changing the baby's diaper while you're answering the phone and stirring the spaghetti on the stove.
0: Right. That That doesn't happen.
1: It doesn't happen. And then she's going, what? This, you know, why are movies like Mr. Mom so funny? Because he's trying to do what a woman does. So these are the things that you have to stop to recognize in how we're going to raise strong men. So we're going to take a break again. But when we come back, I want to talk about how boys need to develop emotionally. They need to understand their own emotions. They need to learn to express them. And they need to learn healthy coping skills in order to have good, solid relationships and in order to develop this kind of trunk strength that you're talking about with a tree. That metaphor is beautiful. So um, Richard's going to share his story of how he stepped into emotional development and how he helped raise his son into a strong man. So we're going to take a break, and we will come back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patricia Bay, and that again is the beautiful Native American flute music of Randy McGinnis. You can check out his music at randymcginnis.com or on Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, Amazon, all that stuff. Thank you, Randy, for letting us use your beautiful music on the show. My special guest, Dr. Richard Malotky, uh, who's a long-term physician and has dealt with many, many families, birthed lots of babies, all sorts of stuff. He's got... He's an amazing doctor, and people just love him. What
0: she really means is I'm old.
1: <laughs> he just keeps saying that. It's not true. <laughs> All right. So Richard so graciously and vulnerably agreed to share his story, his own personal story about emotional development. And I also really want him to speak to how he has raised a fine young man, he and his wife. So Richard, what what do you want to tell us about your emotional growth?
0: Well... Um, so I grew up in Minnesota and I've, you know, it was, it's a German household. It used to be von Malatke. And, uh, you know, I can remember, I can remember a lot of things about my, my grandparents. One of the things my grandpa used to say more than once is, you know, they would shoo all of us outside and he would say, children are to be seen and not heard. Hmm. And boys are supposed to be tough and if you skin your knee, you're not supposed to. Tell your mom you're supposed to cowboy up and and not complain about it mm-hmm. and uh, get back in there and try again. And right. If the pitcher hits you in the head with the ball, you go back up and take and hit a home run after that. Right. So I was kind of raised like that, and my parents loved me, and they raised six of us. And which you know, after we had our second child, I I called my mom. I think my my daughter was three and my son was six, and I called my mom and said, Hey, how come you're not an alcoholic? <laughs> How did you, know, did you do six ribs? Six, Yeah, how do you do that? It's just totally incomprehensible to me. But there wasn't a lot of uh overt feelings in my house and uh, uh they loved us, but you know, my dad told me he loved me for the first time when I went away to college.
1: Hmm.
0: And or well, he told me he was proud of me. He actually didn't say he loved me, but he told me he was proud of me. Yeah. And that generation of
1: men really they, oh, they, they did they he
0: didn't tell anybody, any of my siblings that he was you know, that he loved him either. I mean that's mm-hmm. just how they rolled and so so I was raised that way, and I didn't feel that damaged, quite frankly. And but I wasn't really good about uh, about sharing my feelings and definitely not talking about my feelings. Never was good at that. And then I got into this medical biz and um, started ended up talking about feelings, pretty much other people's feelings, pretty much every day. And uh, and uh, I had a particularly I have a I have a lot of patients. I had a busy busy practice, and I had a really, really, I have three or four people die every year, and I always seem to be able to cope with it, but now they're all, a lot of them have been my patients for over 30 years, and I'm getting, a, they're all my friends, and uh, last year I had 12 of them, you know, 12 of them died from things that I could not fix, I could not fix it, and no one else could either, but I wasn't really wanting to accept that, and I ended up getting myself, you know, really, really depressed, I mean, I just was, You know, I just, I just didn't, I just was really depressed. And,
1: uh. Just stay with it.
0: And I got some help, some really good help, which really was good for me. Because I sent a lot of other people for that. But anyway. But, um, what I learned about all my, about myself was that I needed to let my feelings out. You know, I needed to talk about it. And, uh obviously probably I don't do it good enough because here I am you know on the radio breaking down but but no, you're uh, being real <laughs> but it really helped me to be able to talk about that stuff and not hold everything inside and just say well she's dead can't can't change it let's go on and let's see the next patient i mean it really helped me be able to to let all that out so i think one of the things that i try to tell my male patients is you don't have to be the, you know, the caveman that drags back, you know, the saber-toothed tiger back to the cave every day. You can. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to um, to show your heart and uh, not always be um, the strong person.
1: Yeah. And I, I deeply appreciate you being so vulnerable sitting here because so many men need to hear this. You know, look at the pattern that we're talking about for you. You spent... 30-plus years in in your medical practice helping other people, and it was kind of chipping away at who you were. You had people die often. You birthed babies that had problems. You um, had patients you'd had forever that you diagnosed with melanoma or whatever. And, And so you were a part of these people's joys and tragedies for many, many years. And when it started accumulating on you, As you got further along in your practice, you've been doing it for 30 years. Um, As you yourself were looking at, um, you know, it's it's not easy to go into your 60s. You start to, you feel your mortality is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So you're looking at your own mortality. You're looking at heading into retirement. And all of a sudden you lose 12 patients in one year. And it just starts to chip away at you. And so for many men that I've seen over the years... They have stuffed it and stuffed it and stuffed it until there's no more room in the bottle. And so what you're saying is that you finally got full and had no idea what to do with the overwhelming emotions. So you're not a man to get really angry and scream and yell at other people or something like that or act out. Although everybody who gets depressed also gets irritable and grumpy. But you turned it inward. And so what you were doing was getting depressed. And You knew the signs and symptoms because you're a medical doctor, but you still were trying to muscle it. Yeah. And at some point, you had to cry uncle and say, this is not working and I need help. And you reached out for help and you really started diving into who you were and how you focused and how you did your emotions. And what's really important is you learned some incredibly beautiful coping skills that you didn't have to shove it all under anymore. Can, can you share a couple of what those coping skills were that helped you not shove it under anymore?
0: Well, I think the the one of my biggest problems, and still, you know, I'm still working on it. It's still a problem. Is is I'm not going to talk about my feelings. I am. I do shove things under, and now I think I'm a little bit better about. uh I'm better in the office. I'm better at telling people how I feel or how, you know, well. You know I got a new breast cancer patient last week, new melanoma three weeks ago, and I'm better about um I think I'm better about being vulnerable for those folks so that um so that I'm not just an impersonal you know, yeah, this is what you got, go deal with it type of thing and I don't think I was ever that
1: yeah not think you've ever been like well that.
0: but but still you know i I realize, hey, I have to let them see that I'm a human too because. We all are and, uh, we, there's no, there's no easy way out. There's no easy way out. So Life is hard. Uh, I think I'm, yes, if, if, yeah, anyone tells you different, they're full of it. But, but, uh, so I think I'm better at talking about my feelings, you know, in my family and with my kids. And I'm, I'm, and I'm really, you know, of course, really proud of my children. But, uh, you know, they, you know, when for raising, raising a son, I mean, you know we made we we kind of threw him in the water and made him swim mhm
1: you, you know? took the stake out and let him build a strong yeah trunk. oh
0: yeah there was, he wasn't not stake for very long at all
1: do you feel that you helped teach him those three Rs that responsibility and reliability and uh respect for others
0: you know i think so i i mean we we sure tried to and he turned out so good i can't take credit for it but uh but yeah you know he uh You know, we really didn't have to push. You know, I, I have, I have this bias and I say it in the office all the time. So I tell all my patients, you have a pretty good shot at your kids till they're about eight years old. Mm -hmm. After eight years old, they're going to do whatever the heck they want. No matter, you know, they're going to do whatever they want. So if you give them a strong moral, um, foundation, you know, this is right. This is wrong. If you did it, you're responsible. Fix it or, or, Mm -hmm. Or raise your hand and say I did it mm-hmm. don't lie to me. If you give them that foundation before they're eight years old, I'll tell you what, you just open the bale and let the fish run with the line because you know, those kids uh, you know, we didn't, we never we disciplined our kids once, I disciplined mm-hmm. them once. Each each kid. And that's when they – we live by the river. That's when they try to go through the channeling fence without an adult with
1: them. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: the only time I ever spanked my kids. I hate it. I still cry when I think about doing it. <laughs> but uh, – but
1: So you disciplined them, but you you said you spanked them each once. Yes. But they but you did do consistent discipline. And oh, oh no. We out. made
0: them do – you know, we made them um, own up for stuff. But, you know, for talking about my son, so – I think a lot of you know parents have gone through this. So in sixth grade they had the science fair. So all the kids have to do a science project. They have a written part and they have a like a display. And uh I you know, I can't remember what my son's you know display was, but his written part he got an A on, but all the other parents did the display. Like some parents built built a working, you know, sawmill. Or, right. you know, but in, on a, a four by eight sheet of plywood that, you know, that kid had nothing to do with it. Was it was a
1: parent's project. It was
0: nothing yeah. to do with it. But we told him at the very beginning, we said, hey, yeah. this is your project. You got to do it. And he kind of, quite frankly, spaced it out till the <laughs> night before.
1: <laughs> Midnight the night before. <laughs> oh yeah. What? He was,
0: but he's clever. So he, he put together this, this thing on mm-hmm. on a computer that I thought was actually pretty good, but he got a D on it. Oh. And, uh, and he never, you know, you know, my son is just that—he is who he is. But he's never got to, he's never got to be on anything. So when he got that D, he was crying, just sobbing, and, and uh, we felt bad. But we said, "Hey, it's your gig." And after that, we never asked him if his homework was done. We never asked him, "Did you study?" We never even had to say "boo."
1: Okay, and, and see, so that's a really good point because if we take that overprotective mom we were talking about before. Um, she would have stayed up till 3 in the morning doing it for him so that he didn't have to take responsibility for messing up his timeline of when he should get his stuff done. And then look at how that would have hampered him for the rest of his school years. I don't have to plan ahead. I don't have to do my stuff. I'm not responsible. Mommy will rescue me or Daddy. And not just always Mommy, Daddy too. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: And we weren't in the rescuing department. We didn't do that. So if I was going to give advice, I would say, Maybe, you know, definitely don't do the rescuing thing.
1: Oh, The rescuing makes them not take responsibility and not be reliable. And if you want to raise a strong man, they have to have respect for other people. They have to be responsible and they have to be reliable. And that's modeled for them and that is taught to them by being responsible for their poor actions when they do it, like all kids do. Yeah, We all... We all tend to do that. All right, we've got, we've got one section left in the show, and what I want to be able to do is give some very concrete skills for how you can raise your boy into a really wonderful man. And I want to, I want to tell you some really cool things about that. So we'll be back in just a minute after the break. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patricia Bay with my special guest, Dr. Richard Malotky. We are talking about how to raise boys into really good men. So we want to give you some really good tools to help this happen. Um, And I wanted to to start this section off. A really good friend of mine named Jamie Rendell, who has two wonderful sons, Um, I asked him, I said, what is one of the main things that you think has made has helped you raise two really good boys. And he said, trust. was the first word out of his mouth. He said, I trust my boys, and my boys trust me. He said, they they trust me to be honest, straight up. They trust me to follow my boundaries. If I have set a rule and a disciplinary thing, they trust that if they violate it, I will respond, and I will – Respect my own boundaries that I've set for them. They can come to me with anything. They know I won't overreact, and they also know I won't rescue them. So he said that foundation for the trust between us makes it so that they are growing into men. And he said, let me give you an example. He said, well, one of my sons is really little. I came outside of my of his office place, and his son was climbing climbing the awning, and he was way up high, and And the mom was freaking out and going, oh, my God, he's going to fall, he's going to fall. And Jamie just said, yeah, you go. Because he said, I had to trust that my son was coordinated, that he could do it. And I wanted him to feel that strength and that power that I've gotten myself up here in this awning. I Now I need to deal with it. He said, I didn't want to either hinder his development and make him doubt himself. I also didn't want to go and get him down and be the one to, you know, catch him. He had to climb back down. And he said, that's kind of a metaphor for how I do things with them. I trust that they can handle stuff. I trust they're going to be honest. They're going to own it. They're going to accept responsibility. They're going to be kind to others. They're going to be respectful. He said that they have always been taught to be respectful of women, of elderly people, of um, the mentally ill person on the street. They are taught to set boundaries, not take any abuse but also to be respectful and kind. So that trust is the foundation from this strong father to these strong men. So keep in mind, do you trust your kids? Do they trust you? When they come home, are you half sloshed? Are you stoned? Um, Do they have to kind of test the air to see whether you're either coming off a drunk or getting drunk or sleeping off a drunk or super pissed off because you're about to go into a drunk? You know, that's the kind of thing that blows trust. So trust is important. The other thing we need to talk about is how do you train boys to be good partners? How do you train them to be in relationship? And Richard can speak to this a little bit for how he's trained his son. And plus, he's, he's one of those dads, those husbands, those partners that participates, that does things, that if he says he's going to do it, he does it. Um, he doesn't just do boy chores and no girl chores is, you know, to really be sexist about it. So, Training your son to be really good partners is important. I had a friend that she and her husband raised this wonderful, they had four children, and they raised, one of them was a boy, and they raised him to be this incredibly kind and funny and loving young man who could express his feelings. And I said, how did he get to be such, so sensitive and such a neat kid? And she said, well, all of us, including his three older sisters, trained him to be a really good man. They taught him how to date, how to treat women, how to be respectful, um, how to show up, how to be romantic. And he's just an awesome boyfriend, and then he became this awesome husband. So it, some of it is what you are told to do and what you're told to expect. How do you think your son became such a good husband to his wife and brand-new baby, Richard? What, What did he learn? Right?
0: Well, you know, I think for for most of us it's a it's a it's a process so it doesn't just happen you can't just snap your fingers i remember driving him to his first date and uh, you know because we we let the kids do i can he was 16 but he had a permit but he couldn't drive anyway mm-hmm. um we let them date when they were 16 and uh but i tried to be really honest with them and i'm really try to be honest with my you know young kids you know my teenage kids in the, in the office about relationships To just understand that, uh, like for the, for the boys, I explained to them that, that, uh, if they don't want to have child support payments, they need to use their head, you know, and, uh, and same thing for the, for the young women. They, they don't, a lot of times they don't understand their bodies. In fact, you know, it kind of makes me mad. They won't, they won't let me talk in the high schools about this, but a critical thing about, uh, about a 14 and 15 and 16-year-old girl, and uh, I've seen a lot of those girls pregnant over the years, which is a very, very bad thing at my office. At least I don't like it. Um, they won't teach them about their own sexual, you know, um, sex drive. They don't no. teach them about testosterone. They don't teach them about ovulation. They they are clueless about how they feel and wh- why uh, their feelings might translate into, uh, you know, a little baby.
1: Right, and what I see is that they're taught to, you can shut that down, don't do that, it's not all right. And if we teach you about birth control, then you're going to go out and do it. And my experience with teenagers who tend to tell me everything in my office sure. is they're doing it anyway. Yeah. And so every teenage boy I have ever seen in a bunch of years, like probably 20 years, I have said, let's talk about condoms. Let's talk right. about wrapping it. And
0: yeah, or uh, or at least tell, about, tell them about... Uh... The fact that women have uh, their little surge of testosterone the day before, the day of, and the two days after they ovulate. Mm-hmm. So when that really cute sixteen-year-old girl is dragging you in the back, she's going to get pregnant. Yeah. So if you want that, let her drag you in the back. But uh, they don't. They they won't. They won't teach that in the health class in school, and it drives me nuts because. Um, when when you when I see that poor girl that's uh you know two weeks later on her period in the office and she's sixteen years old, I mean the whole uh, conversation starts that I do not enjoy.
1: Right, because you worry about them, not because you're judging it. Are no, you doing nothing like
0: that. It's just it's just criticism. like now, all of a sudden you've got you've got you know you're not ready to have a baby, but you know of course I I remind the moms. I said you know this fourteen year old girl, if she was in New Guinea, she'd already have two kids. Right. And exactly. So so as far so the early part of relationships, I'm pretty heavy into understand how your body works, understand how your feelings work, and realize that there are consequences to your actions.
1: Right. And realizing helping young boys realize that sexual drive can be extremely powerful and it can and for the girls too, but it can override your parents' Who believe that because they've taken you to church every Sunday that you are accepting the abstinence rule? Oh yeah. But I see more parents that say, "Oh, they, my child would never do that," and I'm thinking, "Well, oh, they've told me they've been doing it since they were 14." Yeah. You know. So yeah. It's so helping boys be respectful and responsible. Responsible with birth control. Respectful of a woman saying no. Um. I mean, we want. And
0: and even just realizing that that whole intimate, you know, heavy intimate relationship. You know, what do you want to do that for when you're fifteen years old? I mean, that's a complex complicated situation. I mean, it's complicated when you're sixty three. I know. but but uh why would you wanna you know do that? Why not, you know, study your butt off and play sports and have some fun in high school? Well instead of being in And my
1: experience in my office with young men that I've dealt with forever is when the little brain kicks in, sometimes the big brain kicks off.
0: And that would be correct.
1: Okay, so they've got a 15-year-old boy who's playing football and he's got a cute little girlfriend and they're both feeling all that sex drive and they're not thinking about pregnancy or college or what their parents have told them to do or not do. They're just thinking about, I'm so madly in love and this is it and, and I want you. And so what I help, young men to learn is how to recognize when the little brains kicked in and the big brain has shut off because it's what gets men in trouble forever.
0: All the time. I mean,
1: how many men have I seen that have had affairs on their wives? And I'm not saying women never have affairs because they do, but I've seen men that have affairs and they say, I didn't mean for it to happen. It just happened. Um, I found her so desirable or attractive. I couldn't help myself. Bingo, little brain kicked in, just like it did when they were 16 and a breeze blew across their crotch.
0: Right. You know? so, well, yeah, and if, she, if she's ovulating, guess what? Nature wants you pregnant. So yeah,
1: So both, everybody is attracted yep. to each other. Yep. So teaching our boys to know how to recognize that sex drive and how to do something about it and how what things are natural to take care of yourself sexually so that you don't, end up getting some teenage girl Nothing pregnant. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no, there's not. And it's... I
0: talk about it every day in the office.
1: And they need to know that they can do other things to control their drive, whether it's a drive to be aggressive and a bully or a drive to have sex with their partner who might be saying no. So this is back to helping teach young men to have respect, responsibility, and reliability. Reliability and responsibility with birth control, respect for their partner, um, all of this. So take a good look at your young man. Is your young man responsible? Does he own it? Does he know how to say I'm sorry? Does he say I screwed up, I should have, I didn't, I, fought, I messed up? Does he know how to be responsible and show up? If he says he's going to do something, does he show up? Is he on time? Does he work hard? Um, those are the things we want. Our young men to have now we also want it for our daughters but we're just focusing on boys to men in this show right now so if any of you are thinking well that's true for women or it's true for same-sex relationships all of that is true but we want to raise really responsible young men so I want to talk to the men just briefly if you are struggling with anxiety and depression stop and take a look at your origins were you raised to be fearful Were you raised to be nervous about things and constantly afraid that you weren't good enough? Were you criticized? Um, Did you have a very uh, dependent parent who needed you to never leave and you felt suffocated? These are all things for you to get in touch with and begin to explore in therapy and, and to just do what you need to do in order to come to terms with that and learn how to deal with your emotions. Anything you want to add, Richard, as we close up
0: here? Well, yeah, I guess the only thing I'd like to add, and I like to say this in the office sometimes, too, because I think we lose sight of it with our busy lives and everybody's going every different direction. Just realize, if you are privileged to have a child, it's such a great, great privilege. You know, do your. if you're the parent, you do your job. Mm -hmm. Do your job. I mean... Be there, show up, be, you know, do what you say you're going to do, and uh, and set a good example because, you know, it's not just that it's our future. Yeah, all these kids are our future, but um, it's it's a they're a miracle. I mean, I delivered 350 babies, and you pull the baby out, and you look at the mom, and you look at the baby, and you think, now how the heck did you do that?
1: <laughs> How'd you, you grow that thing in your body? <laughs> yes, it's a total
0: miracle, it and, a and miracle. it's a miracle from soup to nuts all the way till when. When we close their eyes when they die in the ICU. So, so, you know, pay attention. If you're if you're gracious and gracious and uh, loving in your um, in your parenthood, your kids are going to make you so proud you can't even believe
1: it. Yes. Be reliable yourself.
0: Be yeah. reliable
1: and responsible and have respect for your kids. So I I hope we touched on a few things today that might send you in the right direction to get some help and to raise really really good men because. They are 50% of our society, and we need them to be good. (laughs) So this is Dr. Patricia Bay, and I want to thank you for joining us on Therapy in a Nutshell. Thank you for listening to Randy McGinnis' beautiful Native American flute music, and thank him for allowing us to use it. So let's go forward, and let's just heal the world one hour at a time.
0: The news from Town Hall is brought to you on KCNR Shasta Reading by Shasta Regional Medical Center. Your life, your health, your choice. Shasta Regional Medical Center.